Do you have questions about life and faith and God that remain unanswered? Do you feel like the Christian cliches are shallow and don't really get to the truth? Is this whole Christian thing rather uncertain for you? And, and does that uncertainty exclude you from true spirituality? My name is Skip Collins, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore concepts of life and faith and the Bible and Christianity. We'll challenge our traditional views and ideas which at times will probably make us a little uncomfortable, but hopefully we'll come out on the other side more connected to our faith, to God, and to what we believe. So let's jump in to deeply spiritual, but rather uncertain. Hello, podcast enthusiasts, and welcome to episode number 11. Last week, I was listening to a podcast by Rob Bell. I think he's on episode 280-something. So episode 11 seems very lame, doesn't it? Anyway, last week, we introduced this series called The Big Five of the Bible. In retrospect, it might be the cheesiest title I've ever come up with. But these are the five themes or the five threads that, at least in my opinion, run through all of Scripture, and they help us to understand everything else. These are the big ideas that keep coming up again and again from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. I learned to drive a car about a hundred years ago. In the States, driver's training happens in the school, at least it did back then. And our teachers drilled into our heads that when we changed lanes, we had to check the blind spots over our shoulders. And to this day, I still do it all the time, or at least most of all the time. (laughs) There have been a time or two when I've been lazy and I start to change lanes And then I hear the blast of a car horn, and I look to see a car swerving out of my way. But fortunately, they usually signal to me that they are okay. Or at least I think that is what that finger means. My point is, regularly checking your blind spots is absolutely critical. A few years ago, I was challenged with the blind spots in my life and in my leadership, because we all have them. It's the thing that everybody around me knows, but I don't see. Today, we're going to talk about what I think could possibly be the most blatant blind spot of the modern church, and that's justice. Now, of course, I'm speaking very generally here, and there are plenty of exceptions. And I also think that it's getting better. But I was shocked when I was researching this idea for themes in the Bible. I I looked at a whole bunch of books and blogs and top evangelical leaders that talk about important themes of the Bible. I looked through some of my old textbooks that we used when I was studying theology, and I could not find anybody that included justice when they were talking about the main themes of the Bible. 
How can that be? It comes up again and again and again. In fact, there is so much stuff around justice in the Bible, I'm not even sure where to start. So let's start here with one of my favorite passages around justice. It comes from Micah chapter 3. It's very well known. But let me read a few verses before the main verse so you get the context of what is going on. It says, What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This isn't just a one-verse proof text. It is a thread that shows up over and over and over in the Bible. Do justice. It's like God is saying, let this be the thing that defines you as my people, that defines you as a human being. So I want to talk today about what it means to do justice and how do we do that in 2019. There are a couple of other concepts that are closely connected to justice, so we need to unpack those as well. They are charity and righteousness. So we're going to look at all three of these ideas because they're all part of this theme or thread that runs through the entirety of Scripture. So let's begin by talking about charity. Charity is about generosity. Charity is about helping people in need. It's about being generous with what we have. It's about being intentional to be generous in our helping people in need. There is so much in the Bible about generosity. One of my favorites is the principle of gleaning that you find in the Old Testament. The instruction was that when you harvest your fields, don't pick up all the stuff that you drop. And don't go all the way to the edges of the field because you need to leave some behind so that those that have less than you do can come and take what they need. I love that picture. Just be sloppy when you harvest so that there's some left over for those that are hungry and those that don't have much. God's saying the truth is that there is plenty of harvest for you and you actually won't even miss it. So I wonder what gleaning looks like in 2019. Maybe it has to do with the way that we tip. Do you tip based on the service that you get or don't get? I mean, I'll be honest, that's probably what I do. 
But we could argue that that is not generosity or charity. It's just paying for the service that I get. Maybe we should let the principle of generosity and gleaning dictate how we tip. In South Africa, we have guys that watch our cars when we're parked at the mall or at the beach or wherever we might leave our cars. And these guys usually work only for tips. Now, if God was to give those of us in South Africa a principle around gleaning, I wonder if it would have something to do with the car guards. I wonder if God would say, be generous. The truth is you won't even miss it. Maybe modern day gleaning has to do with how much stuff we accumulate that we don't really need. Maybe it has something to do with how much we pay our domestic help here in South Africa or our employees in our small businesses anywhere in the world. Charity and generosity is part of justice and is a thread that runs through the entire Bible. I grew up in a capitalistic society, and I'm probably a capitalist at heart. But the problem we face with capitalism is the potential greed that it seems to breed. It's like, I've worked hard for what I have, and so I should enjoy it. And if we're required to share with other people that we deem not to have worked as hard as we have, it starts to feel like socialism, and that scares us. When you read the first chapters of the book of Acts, you see that the New Testament church was pretty socialist. They pooled their money and then distributed it out evenly. Now, of course, because people are people, it all broke down pretty quickly. But you've got to admit it was a beautiful picture while it lasted. There were no poor or needy among them. Everybody had what they needed. But political debates aside, this idea of charity and generosity toward people that have less than we do is clearly a thread that runs through the entire Bible, and it challenges us to be more intentionally generous. But charity is just the beginning of justice. And the truth is, it's the easiest part of justice. It's kind of easy to throw money at something and feel like we're doing our bit, but justice goes much further than that. Let's talk about the Hebrew word that is translated in our English Bibles as justice. It's the word mishpah. It shows up more than 200 times in the Old Testament. The most basic meaning of mishpah is to treat people equitably. Every person should be treated the same no matter what their background, race, or gender. It can be used in terms of punitive justice. If you do the crime, you pay the time, as they say. In fact, probably for many of us, when we speak of the word justice, that's what we think of. 
Now, on a side note, if I can go down a little rabbit trail for just a minute, it's really interesting how our picture of God influences our idea of justice. If you read the King James Version of the Bible, Mishpah is translated with the word judgment rather than justice almost every time, and it changes the meaning radically. Let me give you an example of this from Genesis chapter 18. In fact, this is the first time the word mishpah shows up in the entire Bible. This passage is speaking of Abraham's family. Let me read it to you in the King James. It says, They shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And that judgment is where mishpah shows up. The New Revised Standard Version interprets it much more correctly. It says this, His household after him will keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. There's a big difference between Abraham's family bringing judgment to the world or justice to the world. Now, could it be that the translators of the King James Version's picture of God was primarily a God of judgment? Could it be that they didn't really see God as compassionate and merciful? We still do this today. We see him as this perfect God who can't look at sin, and so he has to judge sin. In fact, I think people often think that that's God's job description, judgment and punishment. Oh, we're really quick to say that God is perfectly just and that he treats everybody equally, but since we're all scum anyway, we all deserve death. In fact, the only reason he can actually manage to stomach us is because he got to kill Jesus in our place, so his judgment was satisfied I'm getting ahead of myself because that's where we're going to go when we talk about redemption. But my point is this. If that is our view of God, then of course we're going to translate mishpah as judgment. It makes perfect sense. But when we do that, we're also going to miss the most important and most logical interpretation of the word. Because most often, mishpah refers to restorative justice. It's about seeking out people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. But it's not just about charity. It's beyond that. It's about advocating for the vulnerable and the disenfranchised in our world. It's about changing social structures. It's about speaking out against the abuse of power. It's about giving people their rights. Dozens of times in the Old Testament, Mishpah is connected to the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow those that are displaced and discriminated against, the vulnerable of society. Justice is about speaking for people who can't speak for themselves. 
speaking up for people who have no voice in society. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist calls God the father of the orphan and the defender of the widows. God is about defending the rights of those who have no voice. When Jesus comes on the scene, his first recorded public words in Luke, we find in Luke chapter 4. He's in the temple, and it's his turn to read the scriptures. So he steps up and he chooses the scroll from Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads the beginning of the chapter. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All the eyes of the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Man, there is so much going on here, probably more than we know. But first of all, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. That's what made the religious people so flippin' angry. In fact, they were so angry, they threw him out of the temple, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. And then immediately, Luke tells us the story of Jesus casting a demon out of a man, and then another story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, as if to say, these things are literally coming to pass. But there's another theme here that is maybe just as important. This passage is about bringing justice. In fact, the passage in Isaiah that Jesus is reading goes on to say, I, the Lord, love justice. The work of the Messiah was to bring justice. Then the first words of Jesus in the book of Matthew are really interesting as well. These aren't the first words of Jesus, but they are the first words that Matthew feels is important enough to quote to us. They come from Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or justice, you could say, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and justice sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My friends, this is Mishpah. This is justice. 
These words are not eschatology. Jesus isn't talking about someday in the sweet by and by. Jesus is talking about and speaking out for those who have no voice. And then immediately following this, Jesus speaks about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, he says. You are the light of the world. I have preached those verses numerous times, and it's always in the context of evangelism. But Jesus uses these words in the context of justice. Being salt and light is a call for us to do justice. This is a call for those of us who are seeking to know God, to bring justice to a broken world, to be the voice for those who have no voice. Then he ends the passage with these words. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We are called to be the voice for those who have no voice. We are called to defend the vulnerable and the disenfranchised in our world. Jesus continually spoke about the kingdom of God. And in my opinion, this is the kingdom of God, bringing mishpah, bringing justice, to speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. And if I can take it a bit further, I would say this is actually the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus came to proclaim. And if it's what Jesus came to proclaim, shouldn't it be what the church proclaims as well? And when I say the church, I'm not speaking of an institution. I'm speaking about us. Shouldn't justice be what we are all about? But man, this stuff isn't easy. I can't tell you how you need to be about Mishpah. I can't give you five easy steps to justice. Your life and your context is different than mine, and there is no one-size-fits-all answer. For my wife, Sheila, and I, we have chosen to be involved in the orphan crisis in South Africa. We are crisis parents, and we have six babies that live in our house, and we work with social workers in the courts to find them permanent homes. We are not solving the orphan crisis in South Africa, but we are trying to make a difference. We are trying to bring justice in our little corner of the world. If you're interested in what we are doing, you can check out our website. I'll put the link in our show notes. But that's our thing. That's probably not your thing. And I can't tell you what your thing should be. But I am convinced of this. If you are open and if you are looking, you will find a way to bring mishpah, to bring justice in your corner of the world. 
So in the beginning of this podcast, I said that justice has three components to it. Charity, justice, and righteousness. Righteousness is very closely tied to justice. In fact, there are many of the verses in the Bible that speak of them together almost as one thing, righteousness and justice, or justice and righteousness. I always thought about righteousness as holiness. Being righteous was about doing the right thing, about being a holy person. But righteousness in Hebrew is a relational word. It's about doing what is right toward other people. The problem is we are really out of time now. So we're going to have to save that conversation for the next time. But just to say this, this talk next time is going to lead us into questions of immigration and refugees and racism and our response in this crazy world. And so it might be just a tad bit controversial, but I hope at the same time it will be incredibly eye-opening. I am really looking forward to entering into these topics. But for now, I'm going to sign off. Thank you so much for being part of this journey. Please let others know about this community. Drop me a line on social media or from my website at skipcollins.com. I'd love to hear from you. To my friends in the USA that have had one of the coldest winters on records, I would say this, this too shall pass. Spring is coming, I promise. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom.